God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. And I'm joined by Leonor Kavoda. Hello, Leonor. Good morning, Scott. So I heard that Biden read a speech last night and uh, doubled down on Fauciism. You know, yes. you have to uh, love Fauci or we're going to have, we'd be wearing masks infinitum. You yes. Know, we, let me, so, let me, yes. Let me read something to you from yeah. it. It's so compelling. All 24 minutes of it. We need everyone to get vaccinated. We need everyone to keep washing their hands. We need everyone to keep wearing the mask. Biden said from the White House, after telling the American people, if they follow Dr. Anthony Fauci's orders, they might, might, that's the uh, key word, get to spend the 4th of July holiday with their friends and neighbors. But Biden maintained that doesn't mean large events. So literally now now he's basically telling people 4th of July might be in question. Right. I'm going to take him by the back of the seat of his pants and pick him up and throw him in the pool. Um, You know, uh, like Corn Pop did. You know, Corn Pop was a bad dude. Um, well, I'm gonna <laughs> and he also made a so, comment so that bu- if we're not vigilant, they might have to reinstate restrictions. It's ridiculous. You know, just look at the opening state, the open states, right? Hold on. I uh, have a mic issue. Yeah. So the Biden administration has now bought enough coronavirus vaccines for 750 million people. Three times the U.S. adult population. Yeah. So why is that? I don't know why that is. Population controls why it is, I believe. I think that... Immigrants are going to come here. Here, that's the other reason. There's something more going on here. Yeah. And by the way, the middle class taxpayer is going to foot the bill for the uh, migrants that are coming to the border. Hey, come to America and get your vaccine. Well, think about it, Scott. What else could it be if it's double the U.S. population? Well, they're, they're trying to... What they're trying to do is they're trying to remove God... Replace God with government. And what they're trying to do is recruit transvestites into the military by wooing them with free uh, sex change operations. If you join the military, the military will pay for your free sex change operation. If only corporate Klinger lived. 
I was a real yeah, person. Singer, right? Well, he was. He was. I think he was married. You know, he, he just. He was actually just. He was dressing trying to get up, a, a dressing up like a woman to get a discharge. Yeah. He actually didn't want to be a woman. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was not. I, I mean, um, I know that Jamie Farr was straight and had a. Wife but the character and, himself. But but what I'm saying is the character himself was actually. Uh, heterosexual. He was just trying yeah. that he thought that the yeah. dressing like a woman would, yeah. would would get him a discharge. And that's what made it so funny. But that's why 40 years later we have all these men that actually want to be women. Kayleen <laughs> McEnany uh, said yesterday, she said, 50 days of Biden, no press conference. Why the, why the American people deserve transparency? And of course, um, you know, he reads from a speech. That's all he can ever do. He can't deliver. He can't just... You know, Trump, er, what Trump did every single day with those chopper press yeah. press conferences, those chopper pressers, we used to call yeah. them, and what he did with that barrage of attacks and mean-spirited, vicious attacks and the constant witch hunt over things that they planted on him. Like I said, you know, the whole attack, the whole, the whole Russian hoax was Watergate 2.0. Yeah. It was Watergate 2.0 because it was basically the Democrats, you know, when they did the Watergate, the plumbers were paid by the Democrats right. to to burglarize their own thing. They blamed Nixon. Nixon then tried to to uh, to defend himself and obstructed, and that's how they got him. Yeah. That's an old playbook, folks. That's from 1972. So the person that was involved with that was Hillary Clinton. She was on the Watergate Commission. And she got fired by Zeifman, uh, Henry Zeifman, I think it was. Jerry Zeifman. Jerry Zeifman. And then all of a sudden she says, you know, I know, uh, you know, I know how that all went down. Let's do the Russian hoax trick. So they, they did the Russian hoax trick. And they were looking into Ukraine and all these other things. Not one time, to my liberal friends, not one time has a Biden ever swore under oath and put their hand on the Bible and said, I'll tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Not once did they ever testify under penalty or perjury. Not once related to Burisma, Ukraine, or anything in between. And so when they say, that's all been debunked, no, it hasn't been. It hasn't been. And the reason why is because... We know that our secret, our intelligence operation operatives, uh, whether it's James Comey or John Brennan or uh, Jim Jim Clapper, they all lied when they worked for CNN and MSNBC. They all lied into your face. Mm-hmm. You know why I know that? Because under penalty or perjury, uh, when they were asked these questions behind closed doors, their transcript y- revealed that what they said, what they said under oath. And what they said to the American public were two separate and different things. So they were lying. And yet they write book after book. They get rich off of the morons that buy their books. I mean, I, I don't quite understand it. But, you know, here we are in a situation where we have no moral fiber anymore. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to deteriorate almost like decaying teeth you know almost like a decay it's 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 just this transvestite bs and this this immorality and they're they're trying to do it in every way shape and form and they're trying to do it on the 
backs of the middle class working American person, the person that's on the margin. And what they're trying to do is take away their way of life. Because I, I've always said, the rich elite, they're in power. And the only people that could take away their power is competition. And who who is the next emerging comp- competitor? It's that guy in the, or woman or man or in the middle class. It's that it's that middle class innovator that develops this new widget, this new software, this new app, right? And they develop themselves and they 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 make something out of themselves, and they rise to the top and they start to uh, water down the influence and they water down. Sort of like Rodney Dangerfield when he went to the uh, Gentleman's Club or when he went to the uh, Country Club or when he went to the Ivy League schools, back to school, uh, Caddyshack, all of those movies. What they talked about was a common man that made good, got rich, and could buy his way into the same elite status as these high, high, highbrow elites. But the idea is instead of buying into the whole ivy, ivy, ivory tower BS, for lack of a better word, um, they, they basically come with realism and, and common sense and keeping it simple. Well, and you know what has happened? This is like the age-old debate between old money and new money. And you know how we mentioned Titanic? I mean, we were watching that the other day when Molly Brown... What a great movie. What a great movie. Hadn't seen it in years. Yeah, Margaret Brown, who is a historical person, the unsinkable Molly Brown, because she survived the Titanic. Mm -hmm. When that character boards the ship, the other women are snubbing her because she, she is new money. She's not the old money, but the but the thing that happened. And you know me, I love Fitzgerald because it's all about. Yes, well, I know you uh, love Fitzgerald. Uh, uh, well, you're a Fitzgerald expert, but uh, well, I'm, I'm not you, an expert, but I'm a lover. But, but finish my sentence. Yeah, but you love Fitzgerald because you love the social climber stories. Yeah. and and the th- and the thing is, what's interesting though is as the crash in '29 and other um, time frames, you know, other crashes that we've had, other financial downturns, you see the people that had the old money lose their money, and they and they don't know their place in society. It still it still exists to this day, and the elitism that you were speaking of Scott Mm -hmm. many people are elite but they don't have the money anymore to back up their elitism oh right and and so you have an interest so you have an interesting situation where you have people that you know talk create this status that create these internal cliques and because they love living that life they have have nothing really to buy anymore they bought it all right Um, but there's an intellectual elitism that's going on right now which doesn't necessarily have anything to do with money that's right. Yeah. That's true. And so, you know, the idea is that the rich are always going to be in the upper echelon club. And that club dictates that you're a liberal. That's the problem. That's why you have the editorial rooms. That's why you have uh, the boardrooms. That's why you have the elite in Hollywood. That's why you have the rich, richest politicians, all liberal. You know, and so the universities and the editorial rooms and Hollywood, basically media. Uh, that's why all of the um, all of the talk shows at night, late late night, yeah. they're all liberal. That's why Saturday Night Live is all liberal. That's why you know you have basically all of the television shows are perpetuating a liberal message. Last time I checked, it was yeah. 
Roseanne. Yeah. Roseanne, the biggest bombshell hit of all hits was when Rox, Roseanne, Roxanne, Roseanne came back. Right. right? You forgot came, one, though. Which one? Blue Bloods. Oh, Blue Bloods is done that's very well. That's the one conservative show. That's, that's true. That's absolutely right. And uh, so, but Roseanne came back and after one show, I think it was, and they were, you know, all like into Trump and they were like, you know, making fun of the liberals. I thought it was so funny. I thought it was great. And that thing would have probably hit superstardom, right? But they didn't do it. And and the issue was um, that um, they found some dirt on Roseanne. She tweeted something a little uh, pejorative yeah, about Valerie Jarrett. But I mean, she didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Trust me. She didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And and she got busted for that. They were looking for a reason. Trust me. And they fired her. And next thing you know, that show got canceled. They ba- basically said, we overdid ourselves. And that that thing, ratings-wise, was a huge hit. Right? And in addition to that, um, you know, you go across the board and you have all of these issues. And you have all of these issues. And, uh, and, and I think that you end up with um, this replacing God with government, and you uh, you have to go after the middle class. That's where I was going. The poor, the rich, they're in the club. They're the liberal club, and that's what I just talked about. Speaking about, but but, but hang on, hang on, because I'm about to lose my thought, and and then we have a caller calling oh. it. Uh, but but hang on, just one second. So so then the 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 poor, the poor need the 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 money, right? They need it. They they can't. Eat with eat and sleep without it, right? So, so they need that money. They're going to basically say, "You mean if I vote liberal, I get a passport, or I get an ID, I get I I get free stuff, I get a vaccine, whatever it is, right?" And um, <clears throat> and it's the middle class, the middle class, right in the middle. Uh, they're on the. They get to choose what truck they buy, what color it is, what color picket fence, what kind of pool they put in their backyard, what deck they put on their house, whatever it is. They don't need a, a zoning. They got the right HOA, whatever, right? So they they got what they want, and it's that independent thinking, working middle class. And I've said it for a long time: an, a vibrant, independent middle class. If you have a strong, vibrant, independent middle class as a country, you basically have a brick-mortar house. You don't have a house made of hay. You don't have a house made of paper, you know, or a deck of cards. Uh, You have a house made of bricks. And that's where socialism fails, right? You know know what I'm doing, right? I'm doing the the house made of... The, the house of can- a house of uh, cards built on sand. No, and then the other one. Well, I'll blow your house down. Oh, uh, it. Wizard of Oz. No, that's that's not what it was. Wizard oh no, of that's uh, not Wizard of Oz. That's uh, <laughs> that's uh, the, th- the the three bears. Yeah, the three. Ba- uh, the, three no, no, it's Red Riding Hood. I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll <laughs> yeah. blow your house down. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to think of that too. I think it's Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and and so that <laughs> that was it. So the idea is is that. Um, you have a real foundation there and they need to get rid of that middle class because the middle class doesn't they look at nancy pelosi and say she wouldn't last three seconds in my neighborhood or they they look at nancy pelosi and say she i wouldn't hire her as a dog catcher 
You know, I wouldn't hire her to guard my ice cream in our free, in my freezer. It was definitely Little Red Riding Hood. Is it Little Red yeah, Red? it was okay. the wolf. It, it took like three guesses for me to remember what it was. Well, now's a good time. We have a, we have a special guest that's going to be coming in um, at the bottom of the hour. Um, but we're going to take Julie right now. Julie, welcome to the Scott and Adam Show. Good morning. I'll hop and puff and blow your house down. Isn't that the three pigs? No, it's Red Riding Hood. Little Red Riding Hood. Are you sure? I am. I just it looked it up. Okay. Well, that's the question know. of the day. I hope. I hope to God we figure it out before before <laughs> they 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 get rid of wash it, it off the, and say we can't talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, um, yesterday uh, Mike Lindell was on Steve Bannon, and if anybody has a chance before he comes up with his new podcast and listens to uh, the podcast. He was on for a full hour. Man, he was great. And talk about a Molly Brown. He's unsinkable. He is, he's awesome. And and I don't know if you've ever tried to call his customer service uh, venue. Um, he, you have to listen to The Amazing Grace for an hour, full hour before you can get through. And it's great because by the time you're done, any psycho that's trying to call that poor website that's trying to harass them, that you can't help but feel like you've been had a vision of God. It's that's right. The most and, and the favorite discount yeah. code to use is Red State. That's the best discount yeah. code to use. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah. But, um, anyway, he uh, is going to have a new so- social media platform, and he's going to un- un- uh, roll it in about two weeks. So uh, this is very exciting, and and he's also come up with a whole bunch of new evidence too. And boy, is he a fighter! And and guess what? Alan Dershowitz is going to be on his team. Oh, great! Cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Hey Julie, oh, you were right. Exciting. You were right, Julie. I was wrong. What? It was go- it was the three little pigs. The three little pigs. That's what I thought. Yeah, no, no, cuz I when I first looked it up, it did come up as being associated with Red Riding Hood, but then but then it then it, <laughs> it but then it uh defaulted to the three I, little I, pigs. I had a I had yeah. a sense that there was something flawed in that. Yeah, you know, the well, little Red Riding Hood. Well, you just have to hurry up and put it on stone before they, 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 <laughs> before they, they get rid of it. Yeah, because we're going to forget it. We're going to we're, we're not even going to be able to be allowed to read it in 10 years. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Did, I don't know if you happened to see all the dead fish that rolled up on the Texas coast. Uh, it's on the Weather Channel. Uh, it's kind of sad from all the deep freezes. They lost Three a lot of fish in the yeah. waters. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it's very sad. Anyway, so please, have a good day. We figured out the three pigs, and and there's going to be a new, new social media platform uh, launched by Mike Lindell. And boy, is he a fighter. Yes. He is our modern-day Molly Brown. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, well, she uh, he's our modern-day Molly Brown, we just mentioned, from the Titanic. Yeah. Yeah. Good point, Julie. Wow. Yep, yep. I'm to. We're yep. still going to get all these responses about the three little pigs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, but please, and, and don't, Scott, don't get upset about young people calling calling in and not calling in. Remember, if you have people repeat calling, it means that they like you, and it should make you feel good. 
and just give it time for the younger people because they, they've said so many bad things about conservatives. If they realize we aren't bad people, hey, <laughs> maybe they'll start being brave enough to call in. So just be patient. They, they need to come around because they're all going to come around. They're all going to be apologizing to us because we were right all along. So don't worry. Don't, all get, right. don't beat yourself up. All right. Thank you. <laughs> and please have a good weekend. All you right. too. Take Thank care. You. All right. Bye. All right, that's Julie. <laughs> so, that's great. So um, I wanted to talk to you before we bring Brent Hamachek on, uh, who um, he is the editor at Human Events. Yes. Right? But he's also on the Bugle Call board. Right. And uh, he's someone I respect a lot. He's coming in at the bottom of the hour. But we were talking about the Dalton School. Right, and actually it's funny. Uh, since we uh, started talking about it, the, I realized the article that I was referencing was actually a few months old, but the conversation is still relevant. Yes. All right, so the Dalton School is a is a, an expensive private school in New York City. Um, it, it, it went in where the news. Where Jeffrey Epstein Yeah, where Jeffrey taught. Epstein taught. Um, it also, some of its famous graduates were people like Claire so, Danes. So that makes them really smart because yeah. their professor didn't have a degree. All right, well, some of famous graduates were Claire Danes, Christian Slater, yeah. Anderson Cooper, well, uh, sometime, I want to say it was late December, early January, they re- released all these guidelines for com- combating white supremacy. And it was interesting what, what you know, the guidelines, there were things like, uh, you know, that cur- cur- curriculum recommendations such as, uh, you know, you always needed to have more ethnic literature. Uh, they were, which is fine, but you also had to, uh, you had, they were going to waive like student loans for black people. Uh, members of the faculty they were going to or they're, they they're going to become uh, an all-black school they're well, going to be like howard university it's like you know what we're but, 2021 why are we still talking about skin color right wasn't it martin luther king that talked about the content of one's character and not the color of one's skin well, but I and did, yet the liberals all they ever want to do is talk about skin color well, whether to, it's a marxist that belongs to black lives matter or anything else it's like black white this that it doesn't make any sense folks it just doesn't well, but here they're basically saying we're going to pay for everything well, if you're black well, exactly. but if you're white not so much well this eight page manifesto that they talked about and again you know, this is a school where the tuition is over 54,000 a year and was that they were going to do things such as if a student doesn't qualify if if minority students cannot qualify for um a high level academic course they were going to be abolished by 2023 and you know what i found uh to be very disturbing about that particular bullet point in the manifesto was the whole point of going to um a, a private school that's not to say that there aren't wonderful public schools and, and parochial schools of course there are but there is that parents you know not not everybody who gets in there is paying for it some of them are scholarship students they're scrimping and saving to give their child wow. a better education and the, but the child's education is being dumbed down by this and 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 this is a disservice to the students to the faculty members and it insults the minority students absolutely now let's change subjects can you read what's on this screen? It's all the way over there. Can you Biden read signs executive order to make transgender surgery free for military on, on taxpayer dime. dime. Well, is that what I've been talking about for forever? Yeah, you have been. Oh my God! Yeah. Omg! Omg! I mean, that is absolutely insane. 
This is exactly what I said was happening. Well, I agree with you. This it's, is exactly. And what's the point? And right, let's let's it, talk uh, about this. What's I said the it point? Years ago. I mean, what what is this serving? Okay, think about Back this. Back in the Obama administration, right, they were trying think, to do uh, it. Scott. Let's talk about this logically. What is this serving? Okay, to you know, making this transgender surgery is transgender surgery going to make you a better military officer is it going to make you better at combat no, it has nothing to i do with don't it. think so they're not in the sex uh change I, business it, it's a the... pandering to a very very small fraction of the population no, but, but more so yeah. let me get this point in scott it's more so a pandering to the people whose existence the organizations whose existence thrives on pandering to this tiny 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 sliver of the population that's less than 0.3 percent or whatever the it is this is all that's about, what this is about it's about america last policies but the idea here is is it it's to replace god with government exactly. it's to demoralize our the fabric of our country it's pl- and the cancel culture is one part of it uh where we're erasing or erasing our patriot, patriotism, right? Yeah, I was talking about, about this also in another way where it's kind of interesting, you know, where I mentioned the other day about, you know, we all live with our own uh, worldview, our own lens, uh, where I'm sitting here in my studio and I'm looking at things and I'm I, my view of the world is from my perspective. And over the course of decades, uh, I formulate opinions and ideas that uh, come to me because of my geographic position in life. I mean, where I sit, how I see things. Like I was saying about my dad, you know, my whole life I've seen my dad three-dimensionally. He's only been able to see himself, you know, in a mirror, well, right? Well, well, that's how we all are. Right. And the idea is that we all have different visions. One of the nice things about a Trump rally, and one of the beautiful things about getting together as a group, is we all get together to see something, whether it's a movie or anything else. We get together and we actually get to view things um, from the same perspective. That's the beautiful thing about a theater, Right. Right. Is it's a shared environment. It's a shared experience. And, and this COVID thing has really taken away from that. My mother used to say that. She used to say that she used to like going to the movies in the theater because, because it's a shared experience. Because you would see the audience's reaction to the yes. film. Yes. And not only that, but you can go out afterward and you can talk about what That's you what just saw. That's what we used to do when there was theater and, and movies. It, it's almost an affirmation or confirmation about whether or not what you're seeing. Uh, is an accurate interpretation, right? And so it's a confirmation of that, right? Right. And so it's it's a very interesting dynamic, and this whole thing about separating and masks, and uh, and now with transvestites getting their sex change operations paid by the military, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Well, the masks put barriers up against us. That's what the situation is. Whereas when we are together in an environment and we share an experience we're brought together right so we have brent hamachek on the scott adams show and he is the editor at human events and uh welcome to the scott adams show brent it's uh nice to be back i'm uh always glad to be here i was enjoying listening before you put me on the air to the 
conversation you were having, you inspired me to uh, update and republish a piece I wrote on communication breakdown and perspective several years ago. So thank you for the motivation. I'm going to make a resolution to get that done next week. What Great. are, you, so, what are but, your thoughts? Um, what, what were you thinking? Like when, when you hear something about that where we all, sh- we all have a unique lens to the world because you're sitting in the Chicago area and you mm-hmm. are looking at a set of walls and doing your thing in a different way. I don't know what phone you have. I don't know what window you're looking out. You know, it's it's a whole different experience. Your daily experience is completely different than mine. And yet at the end of the day, you know, we still, still are trying to figure out whether we think alike or we don't. And one of the beautiful things about sharing theater uh, or any experience, whether it's a Trump rally, whether it's uh, live theater, or whether it is a great movie um, as a group, um, that environment, that that collective environment is really important to the fabric of our nation. And yet I feel like uh, what, what people do when they want to try to overthrow you is they want to divide you. They want to create uh, these fissures and in, in, in divide you and not unite you. See, one of the great things about Trump rallies was it was unifying. And that's what they were afraid of, that all these people would get together in one room and and then we, as outsiders, would look at the pictures of the rallies, and that's why those pictures of the rallies were so important. They would be blasted all over Twitter, and we would see it and say, yes, they see exactly the way, it, I, the way I see it. And people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden, it would be driving them nuts because they couldn't achieve that kind of thing. Right. Well, the, so the, the, the interesting piece about perspective and shared perspective is that it's a little bit like uh, what Sigmund Freud did so brilliantly back 100 plus years ago when he took psychology at the individual level and then lifted it up a, a, another notch and applied it at the sociological level. So you're right. When we get together and we're all in that room, the theater or the Trump rally, we're sort of sharing perspective, right, to the extent we're you know, mostly looking at things from the same way. But there's the distinction I make, and it's an important distinction. I think that perspective is properly thought of as sort of the sum total of who we are as people through our life that creates a vantage point from which we individually see things, right? So our perspective as we look at stories, as we look at facts, right, uh, that's our perspective and that's part of us. Something that's used along with perspective too often and it's not the same is bias. So bias is something that actually it's almost like giving our perspective cataracts. It starts to cloud the vision of our experience and introduces some really bad, bad filtering to what we're looking at and from where we're looking at it. So it's important to be mindful of our perspective, sort of where we're sitting in life and how we got there. And it's also really important to try to clear away the bias from our perspective so that we're looking at things honestly and not looking at them in a way that's artificially distorted. And I think that's a really important distinction for people to draw when they're trying to look at what's taking place. Is this just simply the point of view I have, or is my point of view also being clouded by something I'm bringing to this circumstance that isn't necessarily right? So... um, 
thanks for re-triggering all this again. You're you just caused me to do a little bit more writing, so it's always good when I'm on your show. I feel like I leave with homework, Scott. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. So, in other words, get the sty out of your eye, so you you you, you know what's actually in front of you. Yeah, that's that's right, Leonardo. You just took a lot of words and reduced them to a coffee mug. I like that. We can actually put that on a on a coffee mug and and we can sell it. Uh, could I? You were also talking about the the COVID thing. And I want to, if I could make a point on Joe Biden's speech last night with yes. regard to yes. uh, the vaccines. Uh, and we're going to cover this at human events today and point out uh, that yet we have yet another uh, example of Joe Biden's cognitive issues. And, but what is more interesting about it is that the wall street journal, NBC news in real time, were reporting on Joe Biden's cognitive issues as being positive. Here's what I mean. Joe Biden made an announcement last night that he's going to direct all states to make vaccines available to everyone by May 1st. The press reporting that very favorably. People this morning saying, isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? I would like to suggest to your audience that that might actually be the dumbest statement a sitting U.S. president has ever made. Here's why. Let's imagine that on May 1st, states make vaccines available to everyone. Let's also imagine there aren't enough vaccines yet. What have we just done? Have we turned the quest for vaccines into some sort of Herbert Spencer's survival of the fittest struggle, where the 18-year-old will push down the 85-year-old in line in order to get vaccinated? Or, if there aren't enough vaccines yet by May 1st, Will states still have to figure out who gets them? Now let's do it a different way. Let's say that today, Scott, there were enough vaccines. There were 330 million doses so that everybody in the country could have one. Do you think that politicians, governors would say, you can't have one? I know we have enough, but you're not allowed. This is the dumbest statement a politician might have ever made in the mainstream media in their quest to make this silly, silly man look presidential and healing and compassionate is reporting it as a major breakthrough. I'm, I'm lost. At some point in time, I just feel like I need to quit and maybe go skiing or something because <laughs> yeah. everybody's lost their mind. It, truly. And uh, one other thing, as uh, I, I called you yesterday to ask you, uh, or the other day, to, to ask you uh, to come on uh, the show. And uh, one of the reasons why is uh, earlier this week I was talking about kind of like it was a sort of like a, a new thought I had. Uh, and uh, I was kind of unraveling it. And uh, the idea was. That, uh, you know, in World War II, for example, when the Japs bombed Pearl Harbor, and when I say the word Japs, I mean, I'm doing that on purpose, really, because what I'm saying is we used to call them Japs, you know, uh, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Uh, we had this uh, thing, this stigma, you know, where we would look at Japanese people with distrust. You know, we would like, mm, I don't know about you. You know, if you're caught in an elevator with a Japanese person, you might feel uncomfortable. Um, and then, you know, uh, there was Hitler, right? And there was World War II and there was the Nazis. And 
you know, frankly, I see a lot of things happening today that remind me of the lead up to Nazism uh, with all this cancel culture stuff and and all this blind stupidity that's coming from the left. But we we would look at Germans and we would say, I don't know if I can trust you. And then uh, we had 9-11 and radical Islamic terrorism. We had the Munich 1972 Olympic Games. We had, you know, basically Arafat and Gaddafi and all these Pan M103 and all these different things that were happening. And we had this, this distrust of Muslims because of radical Islamic terrorism. And... And uh, so, you know, we had these different stigmas. And my question to myself was, to what impact did this slow their progress down over the next, over the decades that followed their evil actions of killing innocent people, innocent women and children, innocent people? And basically, uh, the idea is, is if you're in the business of killing innocent people because you can't basically fight you win a war on the battlefield you have to kind of like snip some of the achilles heel while they're not looking um like as 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 it is with terrorism um you know and you end up killing innocent people uh to try to uh change policy or get what you want uh black lives matters and actually not much different they say uh you know if you don't give us what we want we're going to burn your building down it's no different really, when you think about it. And Antifa is not far removed from that. So the idea is, is that now we have this COVID. And whether you like it or not, you know, it came from Wuhan. And whether it was released negligently or maliciously, um, there ought to be a price to pay for killing all these innocent women and children and people. And so my point is, is, is this another act of terror? And will China be the next group of people that will be having that stigma because they've engaged in radical terrorism. And in this case, it's a pandemic. In the other case, it might be a suicide bomber. In the other case, it might be gas chambers. In the other case, it might be flying uh, kamikaze uh, pilots into uh, ships in Pearl Harbor. So you see what I mean? And um, to what impact has this... uh, uh, been made uh, what, what impact did, did this have and do leaders will leaders look at that will leaders look at it and say you know we're not going to do this anymore because there are leaders that are responsible for these things that allow these things to happen and at some point they got to look at it from a from a net gain net loss and figure out whether that was a good strategy or not and I think in the decades that followed after that that they may have won that small battle, but the grand scheme of things, they lost the war uh, because they're no lo- they're not really fully accepted the way they would have been if they played it straight. And so China is the next shoe to drop. And I wonder if that leadership is going to look at this uh, fairly and squarely. And you had some interesting responses to, the, to all of that. Yeah, so I, I think it, there's a lot inside of your observation uh, to unpack. I mean, let's take a look at the acts of China or the act, the singular act, just of the, of the virus. 
so there's the perspective of the Chinese, and then there's the perspective of, say, the rest of the world. That's, we'll put, throw it together. And there, there isn't any question that from a rest of the world perspective, we're going to start to make generalizations about Chinese people uh, from the actions that took place or the events that took place starting in, in 2020. We, we see this all the time, right? This is the way humans are. Uh, th this is, by the way, this notion of bias or stereotyping in how we look at things. So we're going to walk down the street, and a lot of people will see a, just even an Asian-looking person wearing a mask, and a lot of people will say, why are you wearing the mask? You're the ones that did this to me in the first place. Right? So we're going to get those kinds of reactions from people, and we know this because that's how humans behave. The bigger question, though, goes up a level to what will governments do with regard to China and with regard to what China has allowed to have happen? I mean, we know, we know people will behave badly. We get that. What will governments do, though, that are supposed to be a little bit more deliberate and thoughtful? Uh, well, based on what we're seeing so far, the answer would seem to be not much. Um, we've, we are openly rushing back to embrace China here in the United States with a change in administration that's not even 60 days old. Um, our addiction to low-priced goods and our economic need that we've placed on China seems to have most leaders just kind of a little bit strung out. I mean, it's really hard to get too angry at your heroin dealer when you just ran out of powder. And that's, that's, that's what we're saying. There's, there's not much of a reaction from the West. And then finally, there's a reaction from China itself. I mean, if they do see that maybe maybe folks don't like them or maybe folks are taking a dimmer view of, of their citizens, well, does the Chinese government care? This is the easiest question to answer. Of course not. Um, the Chinese government views the humans that live in their country as lying somewhere in between machine parts and insects. And having regard for their well-being, their life, their reputation, I mean, that's just simply not going to happen. So I think the net long-term impact on China is really essentially zero because they won't let it be. Uh, nothing's going to stop their behavior. Uh, will individual citizens treat some Chinese people badly? Yeah, probably. That's what humans do. Um, so... Uh, nothing in my analysis of this is particularly rosy. If we were going to look for a good angle, we'll have to look elsewhere. And, you know, my answer to that, too, is I think that the fact that uh, the mere fact that I actually brought it up is a start, meaning that we have to start talking about this because they can't just get away with it, you know, and. At some point, there needs to be some assembly, some body of government, some some group that determines, you know, basically uh, like a jury system uh, or judge system. Uh, they, they, they need to quali quali qualify this thing and, and to declare who's responsible. They're trying to say that they it didn't even come from there, uh, which is kind of interesting. But, you know, the idea is that at some point, if we can stand up and denounce it, you know, at some, like in the wake of uh, Nazism, there was bodies of uh, world bodies that would get together and say, this is wrong. This is, this is an act of uh, 
genocide or what have you. Um, and it was clear, you know, history, we look back at history, the history that we're, in some cases, the liberals are trying to erase. Um, the, and that's a scary thought in and of itself. Um, but the idea... Right, but... But I think, Scott, if I could, I, I, I think that it's, uh, it's always good to look at history because it's, it's interesting to look for parallels and to see if things look the same, to see if there's a lesson you can pull. Mm-hmm. But it's really dangerous to ever uh, compare the now to the then. So we did a, a piece at Human Events last week, uh, an interview with Congressman Madison Cawthorn that I would urge your uh, listeners to go take a look at it was can really you, a great can you repeat that uh, again? conversation repeat with an extra- extraordinary young guy and Re- one of the things okay. that we talked about was the difference between the united states today and the united states in exactly the moment you were talking about world war ii and we're not we're not the same people we don't have the same sort of steeled nature we don't have the same sort of resolve we don't have the same sort of uh, physical challenges in our daily life that may make us more um, willing, able, and prepared to make tough, hard, sacrificing decisions. Mm. So us standing up to evil and making a stand against the electronics we hold in our hand because they came from China, it's just not terribly likely. That's not who and what we are today. So it's very difficult to look at what we did then and say it's what we could do now it's more like what we did then and what we wish we were capable of doing now wow that's interesting yeah but i i definitely think that uh it starts with a conversation and a motivation to you know uh push for change and ask the right questions that's why i think it is that biden doesn't hold press conferences is because he doesn't want to answer the tough questions. He he doesn't. He has no answer uh, for these tough questions um, because there isn't a good answer for the decisions that he's made. Um, and so you hide from the press, and you know there's a willing press that's you know mostly siding with his ideology and just loving what they see, and they they don't want to question it. But with China, uh, we have to knock on the door of the UN if they're worth anything anymore or uh, the leaders within NATO (laughs) and figure out, you know, why is this not considered a military crisis? You know, why is this not considered an attack on humanity? Um, You know, these types of things need to be asked and answered. And um, and, and what kind of um, impact will this have on Chinese people who uh, roam around the world, uh, how will they be perceived in decades to come uh, for being responsible for not just one, but maybe two pandemics? Or, you know, there's been more than one virus that's come out of their country. And it's not by coincidence. Right. I mean, this is, you know, this is getting getting a little too old. Well, look, we're the going back to where we started our conversation this morning, mm-hmm. the idea of extrapolating, you know, behavior from the one to the many. We're far more likely as an individual to aggressively confront somebody that just made us angry, say, at a gas station because they pulled their car in front of ours at the last pump. And we see them get out of the car, and they stand four feet tall, 
and they weigh probably 87 pounds. And we can tell that very easily we could physically handle them. So we get very aggressive with that person. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, same thing happens in the person that steps out of the car is an NFL lineman. <laughs> now we might keep our mouth shut and go try to find another gas station. <laughs> China's the NFL lineman stepping yeah. out of the car that just made us angry. So we take a look and we say, gosh, confrontation might come at quite a cost. And so we're afraid. They yeah. own the West economically now. They've purchased our debt. They continue to purchase our debt. It's not about the money that we owe China for the debt they already bought. It's about the debt we're going to issue tomorrow and hoping they will still buy it. Their products are everywhere. They have, you know, they're building the infrastructure in nations like Italy and elsewhere. Uh, so anything we do in the West to stand up to the East will come at an extraordinary cost and risk to ourselves. We don't think we can beat up the linemen who cut, out, cut us off at the gas station. And we don't think we can beat up China who's just cut us off everywhere. Right. You know, they've made a, a very smart calculation that their value 50 years ago was their uh, massive population and how they could actually, you know, manufacture the world for the world. Uh, and that, that's, that was their goal, the ma to be the manufacturing right. uh, manufacturer of the world. And they successfully achieved that. And you say, why didn't India do just as well? They have the same kind of population in, in terms of numbers. And uh, I think that the difference is the communist rule, you know, the dictatorship uh, where, you know, you, you know, it's it's why they just voted to control Hong Kong's election. Mm -hmm. And they got 2,850 representatives and it was 2,850 to zero, you know, and then they're sitting there on talk shows and tell them why they support this policy if one person were to not not vote for that they would be you know soon in jail or, right. or, or well, something like that so let's 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 answer your question uh about you know why china and not india and let's uh allow me to give your your listeners a, a morning shave with occam's razor we'll just look <laughs> at the simplest explanation for this uh, the folks in India weren't as evil as the folks in China. Right. And so the Chinese did something. Um, you know, you mentioned communism. Uh, we've been making this argument for a very long time. China is not a communist country. They never have been. In fact, they're not even close. They allow private ownership of the means of production. They are, however, a fascist country. And if we look at the history of fascism, where we've had government join together with industry to accomplish objectives, you know, we go back to Italy, right, under Mussolini, the, the father of fascism. And in, in, in that case, the unifying factor in their nation was about nationality. It was about being Italian. And then if we move and we take a look at, say, the Soviet Union, uh, the unifying factor was around class. In Nazi Germany, it was around race. What China's done is they've taken this notion of fascism and their unifying principle has been economics they have weaponized economics in a way not to just try to get wealthier or whatever it might be they have unified their people around the perfection of the chinese economic power structure and so just like hitler tried to unify a people around purifying race 
China's done it around economics. They've weaponized it. Wow. And they've done it brilliantly. They've done it better than the Italians managed nationality, better than the Germans managed race, better than the Soviets managed class. China's the most successful. They found the right weaponry and they've deployed it perfectly. Yeah. Here my voice cracked. I guess I'm entering puberty right here live on your show. Well, and you know, you know, they are about perfection in a <laughs> lot of ways. Um, if you look at the Beijing Olympics, for example, I mean, what they were able to do, that was a masterful presentation ceremony. But yeah, to, sure. to your point, oh, they yeah. are they are ex- uh, exquisite with with regard to all of that perfection type of stuff that you're talking about. They they are a force to be reckoned with. Um, you know, uh, I want to thank you for spending some time with us, Brent. And um, tell us how we can find more about you. You're the editor over at Human Events. You're also now on our board with Bugle Call. Um, tell us how we can find out more information about you and uh, uh, you know, and share that with our audience. Well, finding information out about me is something best left for a rainy day with nothing on television. But uh, in terms of our work at Human Events, go to humanevents.com. Our platform is growing. In just the last couple of months, our readership is up in the triple-digit percentages. So we're pretty excited about that. We're growing uh, rapidly. I also work with Jeff Webb at middleclasswarriors.com, director of the policy research there. And Jeff's got some great plans coming up in the future with regard to restoring federalism in the country. And then Finally, if people go to brenthamacek.com, they can read some of my original work that I've published on my own, and I always urge people to do that. Send me comments. I write to every single email I get uh, and enjoy hearing from people. Great. And that's Hamacek, H-A-M-A-C-H-E-K. And there's no C-K at the end. All right. Thank you you so much, Brent. Thanks, Brent. All right. Take care, Brent. Always love being with you, folks. Have a good rest. uh, Have a good weekend. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. He always has good insights. All right. I wanted to just say two things before we head out of Dodge. Um, The Federalist has an article that we're going to be posting. It says, did this shutdown save lives? A year later, statistical analysis suggests not. There is no evidence shutdowns did anything but deepen the economic suffering, increase suicides, and prevent life-saving medical tests and treatments. Um, so there's that. And then also there's another article. House passes two gun control bills to delay gun sales, create national gun registry. They're taking away your guns, folks. In any case, um, we got to keep our eye on the ball and keep fighting the good fight. And with that, my name's Scott Adams. My name is Leonora Corvetta. And you're listening to The Scott Adams Show. Be sure to visit scottadamshow.com for the podcast. Be sure to check out our new nonprofit organization, buglecall.org. Buglecall.org. And we have a sister nonprofit. It's magapack.org. Check out what we're doing there. We're making a lot of progress over there. And with that, have a great weekend, everybody. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye now. Grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper Just to bury my kids right up to there